Hey there, doggy people. Welcome back to the Bark Side of the Moon podcast. In today's episode, myself and Anne chat about multi-dog households. So whether you're thinking about adding another dog to your home, or if you've already done so, and need some help in knowing how to manage your dogs altogether, this conversation is for you. We talk about different scenarios, the positives and negatives of adding new dogs to a home with a resident dog, and also give some helpful ideas on how to recognize and manage a potentially unbalanced situation for your dogs. So, enjoy! Hello there. Hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Good, 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 good. Glad to be back again. Yeah, great to have you back as always. Um, we have another exciting um, topic today. <laughs> you sound like it's not going to be exciting. Well, it's sar- sarcastic. Yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh, no, okay. a fun one. Yeah, of course. Yeah, okay. Not Maybe not as fun as, as the enrichment one that we did, okay. but um, fun <laughs> in other ways. Yep. Okay. And um, we want to talk a little bit about... Um, managing multi-dog households today because it's something that's come up for for both of us um over the years um and and more uh recently as well for obvious reasons but not just in recent years but this is something that has always happened from time to time dog owners have thought that maybe they may look to add a second or even a third dog to their home as they've enjoyed maybe their their own dog so much up to that point to believe it'll be a positive for not just them but also for their own dogs and in some cases this works out great but in many cases it can be a difficult situation to manage once the new dog or dogs have been added to the home and um, when I worked in rescue uh, I used to see this happen from time to time and what some people said was that they felt they should adopt another dog to give one a home we really needed it and didn't really think that it may impact negatively on their own dog or dogs at home before they adopted this new dog and uh, now they may find themselves in a situation whereby they have to keep the dogs separated maybe for portions of the day or in some more severe cases keep them completely separated all of the time Mm -hmm. to prevent spark points and potential arguments or fights in the home uh, can be awful so what i wanted to talk to you about today was to maybe help people to know if it's the right thing to add another dog to their home in the first place before this happens and also to speak about how they may be able to manage their multi-dog home better if they are already in the situation whereby they currently are trying to manage multiple dogs on a daily basis. So I know it's a lot, <laughs> but let's try anyway. Okay. We kept up. We know what we're going to talk about. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> okay. So if you're a current dog owner who yeah. is considering adding another dog to your home, what should you be looking at regarding your own dog before making that big decision? So this happens lots and like you say people will think you know that their own dog would really benefit from having a companion or maybe they themselves would like another dog um, and their own dog would kind of factor into that and I suppose the first thing that I will say to them is is I'll say well does your current dog or even your current pets because you might have a cat or you might have other animals that need to have a say in this and do they want to live with another dog Mm. Um, and I suppose that's the first thing um, to consider and I will say that to people I'll say well what does your dog think about that or what would your dog think about that or your cat or your rabbit or you know whatever pet that mm-hmm. you have because that's going to be a valid um, consideration and then I'll say well the second thing then is you know we want to start thinking about if you do want to add another dog it's really the best thing to do if you can is to go for a dog that's as different as possible to your existing dog yeah. but similar enough that you can still meet their needs Mm -hmm. so you know whatever environmental resources you have so I think that's often a challenge for people and the reason we say that is is that most tension between dogs living in the same home 
is generally related to resource um, access, kind of possession, um, having access to food and the owner and the sofa and, you know, all of Mm. the important uh, things. And the more similar two dogs are, the more likely they are to be motivated by accessing the same things. things, Yeah, yeah. yeah, And be, you know, be interested in the same kind of reinforcing experiences and things like that. So there may be more likely to be competitive interactions. And dogs are very competitive with one another. And we have a selected for increased competitiveness in some types of dogs as well. So mm-hmm. that has to be factored in. Um, and then third, I will be talking about, well, you know, how are you going to be able to provide a suitable setup, particularly for the early uh, interactions when the dogs are just home and, you know, your current dog suddenly has this dog you know, appearing and not leaving and staying there perfectly. Um, And the new dog is going, well, you know, they're in a complete whirlwind because they're going, what is going on? Where am I? What's happening? I have to navigate so many changes. And now there's this other dog in front of me and all of the politics that goes with that, along with everything else that's happening to them. Mm -hmm. So I will talk about the prospective uh, owner's setup and are they actually going to be able to... um, facilitate really careful introductions and I'm super conservative about this you know so I'm probably seem a little bit OTT to a lot of people um and that can be because you know um uh my experiences will be with um you know so my sample is skewed isn't it all the time because I'm working with mm. um homes where this isn't working out great yeah uh, but also I tend to work with um a lot of dogs that maybe just by virtue of the type of dog that they are, they don't always necessarily want to be living in, you know, large groups and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they might prefer to have their own space. Yeah. You know, and that kind of thing. So, so I, I, I tend to be super conservative about this and obviously, you know, that's where we'll start and then we can adjust it and relax it or, or refine it according to individual requirements. But I would usually be talking about before the new dog comes in that we would have specific areas set up where the dogs have their own space initially that they'll be rotated around in. Um, and so that when the dogs first meet, they meet in really kind of quite neutral and open circumstances mm-hmm. and maybe even at a distance. Because those first impressions count, particularly if you consider the new dog coming in, mm-hmm. that they, the moving to a new home will be the most stressful kind of thing they may have experienced. Mm-hmm. And everything is heightened and they're more sensitive about all of the interactions they're going to be involved in and all of the situations they're going to be exposed to. And often what happens is, is the stress associated with moving is so overwhelming that it has a suppressive effect on behavior Mm -hmm. and the dog appears to be chilled and calm and tolerant. Mm -hmm. And it's not until they start to settle in a couple of months down the line that we can start to have issues creeping out. And Mm -hmm. when I work with dog dog issues so dogs that live together these kind of inter-dog issues that these dogs that live together and there's concerns or there's tensions or there might even be fighting Mm. almost always the initial interactions and introductions were maybe not appropriately applied so the Mm. dogs were kind of put together very uh, kind of haphazardly Mm. they were immediately competing for access to resources even though their pet owners may not have spotted the implications Mm. of that or the relevance of that or they might have been having or you know quite showing quite tension toward one another that wasn't spotted or wasn't identified um you know early enough uh, before things kind of kicked off and I suppose the fourth thing then you could add to that list there really is is to talk about the expectations that Mm -hmm. the person will have of of 
bringing a new dog in, what do they actually think everybody's going to get out of this? Mm. And that means their current dog or their you know pets, uh, their cat or, or whatever the pets they might have themselves and the new dog mm. um, and the family, obviously, and all those sorts of things. So, so because often we have unrealistic expectations of uh, dogs and dog behavior and we expect dogs to be hyper social and they are in lots of ways, mm. um, but they don't necessarily or might not necessarily want to live full time mm. with another dog that might not be something that they want to do or like you know on an individual basis or they might be quite open to that when they're young but as they mature that yeah. you know comfort might start to wane mm. um and and that needs to be taken into account as well yeah yeah okay so behaviors wise i suppose if you if you got your dog what things would you be saying to people to, to keep an eye out for to say does that that their dog may be doing on a daily basis or when a, when a visiting dog comes to the home that might be red flags in your opinion say that would suggest maybe the, the current dog wouldn't enjoy the addition of another dog to the home so some simple things that people could maybe observe yeah i think that's going to be really um individual i yeah, suppose of course, but yeah. you know we want to know kind of at different levels what's their mm-hmm. comfort with other dogs so just other dogs in general yeah and then maybe how do they deal with unfamiliar dogs and then you know have they had any experience of another dog being in their home because mm-hmm. it's one thing meeting a dog out in the park or wherever yeah, where you know totally there aren't a, yeah mm. where there aren't a whole lot of resources it's open space they might be off lead so it kind of goes mm-hmm. a little bit more smoothly than when you're in the confines of the home and that dog's stuff is everywhere and again to remember that you know dogs are quite competitive with one another they're not natural sharers mm-hmm. um so um, we tend to again have those weird expectations of dogs that they're all things perfect and angelic um, mm. and they're not they're animals with you know needs and and long-standing um behavioral tendencies in relation to social interactions you know mm-hmm. so i suppose um they would be the first things i'd want to know how does a dog do in those situations and then there be, might be other kind of things that I'd, I'd like to know about so so for example if we're going to introduce them properly like in this kind of staggered way where initially there'll be quite a lot of separation mm-hmm. um, and rotation is your dog going to be able to deal with that so yeah. is your dog going to be able to be comfortable behind a barrier in another room while you spend time with this other dog mm. and you know and that's going to be really important that each dog has one-to-one time but there's only one of you and mm-hmm. um, so they might you know be torn in in that respect so that's something that we want to know about and then we also want to know you know how quickly do they get wound up and how easily do they um do they kind of come down from that Mm -hmm. because as soon as you add another dog there's something else for your current dog to watch and it's the Mm -hmm. same for the new dog as well and so that kind of focus that honing of focus we tend to in dog training called arouse call arousal Mm -hmm. and when dogs get aroused so they 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 get aroused so their stress systems engaged to keep to to help them better prepare and be better be more vigilant for potential threats or potential dangers and so when you're early on in a relationship and developing relationship they might not know one another that well they want to kind of keep an eye on the other fella they want to be making sure that they're still going to have access to their food or preferred resting places or Mm. you know all those resources so there might be a level an extra level of tension as the dogs get to know one another and and uh, the the new dog of course there's like a background level of stress all the time because everything's up in the air and they don't really know what's going on um in general um so they're kind of stressy anyway so when their stress systems are engaged like that so again the arousal is on the rise um that means that their inhibitions tend to be lowered so they're Mm. less well likely to you know control themselves or less less well likely to be able to 
you know, kind of just walk away from an issue. So there mm-hmm. might be more likely to be tension. There might be more likely to be kind of escalations in those interactions. Mm-hmm. So we want to know what is the dog normally like? And if they're kind of, if they get quite overexcited quite quickly and find it difficult to come down, then maybe we need to do some work before we add another stressor into their life that's possibly not going to make that easier for them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I think a lot of times people will, if they have really active dogs or when they have dogs that uh, exhibit behaviors associated with distress at separation, they might think that getting another dog is going to help them. And mm. I don't know that that's always going to be helpful, no. that you might just have two dogs that are kind yes. of anxious or two dogs that are stressy. So that's, now you've just made more work for yourself. the case. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Mm. So like certainly with separation related behaviors, and I know we've spoken about that before, mm-hmm. another dog probably isn't going to fix no. that for you, probably isn't going to reduce that, your dog's mm. distress. Um, so it can be a big investment and again those ex- what are those expectations and are they really realistic you know mm. which we have to ask a lot about our interactions with dogs <laughs> <laughs> and i mean in general or i suppose this will be totally your, your own opinion but do you think dogs are like happier who live alone or do you think they prefer to live with other dogs I think it's going to be really individual. And, Mm. you know, we talked a lot about this when we uh, talked about social behavior Mm -hmm. and dogs playing with one another and meeting random dogs or meeting familiar dogs or whatever. We talked a lot about that. There's a lot of there's going to be a lot of individual differences. Um, And again, there might be differences in, you know, from type to type of dog as well, where we've selected for more or less kind of this, you know, kind of social butterfly tendency. So I think it's going to be really individual. And not just individual to that dog, but also individual to like the living circumstances and the environment and the owner's resources and that kind of stuff. Um, you know, it's important to remember that it's quite normal for mature dogs not to be as social, not to be as open to making new friends. And mm-hmm. again, individuals, because there's lots of mature individuals that are, you know, complete social butterflies until the very end. Mm-hmm. Uh, but <laughs> it's quite normal for that to diminish as they age. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's going to be a lot of... Um, individual you know i just don't have a blanket yes or no to that one of course yeah there definitely are some dogs who appear to do better living with another dog or group of dogs Mm -hmm. and there are definitely some dogs who are living in a group who you can just see you know their behavior is telling us they would really like to just be on their own um and you know i think it's a read and then there are lots of dogs who live on their own who do perfectly well their pet owners are providing for their needs really well the dogs Mm -hmm. are really healthy they're really cool their behavior is totally balanced and and uh, appropriate and adding another dog for those dogs probably isn't going to you know necessarily benefit i suppose yeah so yeah. it's an individual thing so yeah it's no help to you to answer no no question. no <laughs> it's it's you know because you, you hear naturally still things that are around like oh x breed is a one person dog you know right they, um so they could never be rehomed somewhere else successfully oh, or wow, anything okay. like that you know all that kind oh, of Lord. stuff so, yeah, so it's these little things that when I hear them, it's, this is why we want to put these things out as well as to kind of, you know, um, quash those kind of things as well in, in, in a way and say that it's not necessarily the breed, it's the individual dog and we sure. have to get better at listening to what they're telling us on a daily basis yeah, yeah. and when we're, when we're getting to the stage of adding something to their life or taking something away from their life yeah Yeah, yeah. exactly you know so yeah and I think you know that's interesting because we do hear that a lot Mm. um you know, I'm kind of shocked that people are still saying, oh, that means that, you know, you can't rehome that dog because they'll never bond with another human. And mm. uh, because that's probably not the case. And again, there might be individuals <laughs> like who've had super like 
trauma in their past of people that yes. might you know never be able to be around a new person ever you know there's there's definitely those cases exist as well hmm. but in general I, like like a lot of these kind of old adages there probably is some truth truth to that there probably mm-hmm. are lines of dogs that we have selectively bred to do certain jobs where that you know dogs that were less interested in other people it Mm -hmm. would have made sense that we would have selected those dogs to be the parents of next generations because if they're not you know that interested and sometimes when you read breed standards sometimes there's really some really interesting lines in there and there's there's (laughs) an interesting line in the afghan hound breed standard just because it's relevant to this that says something along the lines of like afghan hounds don't look at you they don't look at a stranger they look through a stranger um and i think that kind of ideas replication a cup in in some sight hound um breed standards and stuff like that so like i was totally addicted to breed standards and breed books when i was a kid uh, so i've all learned off <laughs> no, <way. laughs> um, no i know it's strange <laughs> like, it's really weird that i would do something like that that doesn't sound like me at all like i fell asleep for i don't know how many years but i to get my first dog i had a little dog book with all the different breeds <laughs> oh. and for some strange reason i was drawn to the boston terrier page. oh yeah i love it love yeah boston. and i would <laughs> every night <laughs> fall asleep, go to, go into bed and I would have that page open on my on my chest in the hope that my mom yes, or my dad would, would appear <laughs> and they would go ah oh, jeez would you look you, you really want this dog and of course terrier. every single morning the, the, no, the, the, the book no the book would be folded on the ground <laughs> and say no so then I would go about you know oh look this stray is here and it would just be with me a stray it'd be somebody's dog from like two rows over and I'd be like oh he really wants to to live with us oh yeah I was desperate until they eventually caved naturally um but yeah yeah it's just it's just funny yeah it's it's I just remember that that book as a kid I just loved it just looking at all the all the different pictures and it's just amazing all the different types yeah Yeah. I have a two-year-old um niece who likes to have chats about dogs mm. and i bought her a breed book there really recently like a month oh, ago cool. um and it's a really really good one it's a, nat- a national what is it national geographic oh. uh breed book i got it just random like was searching mm. for a breed book and you know you want to search for ones that don't mention dominance and pack and yeah, yeah. and all those things which can be yeah. difficult to do with yeah. those kind of generic <laughs> books yeah. so it was a bit of a it was a bit of a hunt yeah. uh, but that one was really good oh, cool. um and uh, loads of pictures obviously because she's two mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're having way Brilliant. more chats about dogs <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> um, so cool yeah yeah so you know in dog in dog trinating her indoctrinating her yeah. really young get her addicted to like oh, yeah. dogs and like watch the space in a few yes, years exactly. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> get her going oh, i love it exactly i can't remember what we were talking about now <laughs> no, no, no it's cool no 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 we were um we were just saying about you know people the the, the old sayings of you know this particular breed is is a oh, one, one person yeah. dog or whatever but yeah. that's yeah. that's fine like the, those old things are thankfully well hopefully they're they're dying away and and um there's better understanding out there hopefully yeah, about these things better understanding of and better appreciation for that as well and understanding mm. there's nuance to it yeah. so you know we can certainly say that while we've selected for these particular tendencies in this breed or type of dog that actually individuals give us more of a clue and there's quite a bit of variation from individual to individual in terms of how behavior is inherited and stuff like that um or certain groups of behaviors are inherited um so you know there's a bit of nuance to it now as we have a better understanding of it but i can appreciate that 
there are definitely some types of dogs where it would have been more beneficial for us to select from individuals that weren't into going over and sure. visiting neighbors or being distracted because a, a stranger had, you know, appeared or whatever. Mm. Um, and indeed, some dogs where that's even more exaggeration, where we actually had selected for them to be cautious of strangers mm-hmm. or to aggress towards strangers, for yeah. example, and things like that. So, we, you know, we have done a ton of selection with these with dogs and that's why they're such a you know a variable mammal like they're the most diverse of all the mammals and there's mm. a like i always say there's all there's a flavor of dog for everybody basically yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. because we just have so so just as rich you know diversity which just makes them even more special um, yeah lovely you know so like yeah. so your dogs so a maggie kind of type side hound type dogs mm. they weren't necessarily selected to be overtly friendly and in everybody mm. else's space mm-hmm. but my type of dogs at Amstaffs that's exactly what they're like they're yeah. in everybody's space all mm. the time mm. uh bruising you know <laughs> with, with being a, you know so so like and even though they're the same species they're really on the on different ends of the, that spectrum yeah. you know um so like we could appreciate that that's something but but then when we look at individuals well maybe you know there'll be differences there um that are, are you know that we can't say that every amstaff is like that or we can't no, say that of every master is like that yeah. yeah yeah of course okay so gone off topic <laughs> no 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 not at all um so it's been i suppose some people might think you know this kind of maybe we're we're coming at it from a kind of a negative uh slant so i'm trying <laughs> to th- I'm trying to think about right okay so what maybe if if you've got your 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 dog that you're thinking would be uh, receptive to this change so what could be some of the benefits of adding another dog to the home with a resident dog or dogs in it um should those dogs be receptive to another dog coming in yeah so if if this is something that's going to work for a dog mm. obviously it's going to offer another level of enrichment in terms of social contact and one of the things that we've learned from you know this trend in i suppose providing enrichment enriched environments for captive animals which include domestic pets Mm. um is that social enrichment that level of enrichment this kind of interactive enrichment where the dog interacts with something in the environment and it interacts back so like as in social interactions um that's really the most successful and usually enriching level of enrichment that we can provide so dogs are social animals and that they're social is why we can bond with them and form relationships with them and Mm. they can form relationships with obviously with other dogs but also with uh, other species as well and that's another cool thing about how the the selective forces that have been in play uh, for hundreds and thousands of years and you know for a long period of time with dogs so they are social animals so they will if they are into that as individuals Mm they should be able to get a whole lot out of it. Mm. So it can provide for a lot of those kind of behavioral outlets at a level that maybe humans can't, Mm. or they can pick up where humans just don't have the time, for example, or the resources to be able to do that. So it can certainly be really comforting for some dogs, you know, dogs and when they, and there is a difference between dogs who live together and dogs who form attachment relationships to one another or or bond with one another. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously for those dogs, it can be just as it's comforting for them to have access to their humans it can be comforting for them to have access to their uh, canine companions as well Um, and for for people it can be really beneficial it can be really helpful particularly if the relationship between the two dogs is is healthy Mm -hmm. and that can be a nice thing to be a part of it can be a nice thing to watch Mm -hmm. and also I sometimes think you know when I've had just one dog versus multiple dogs at a time when one of the dogs ages or becomes chronically ill or dies Mm -hmm. it can actually be a little bit more helpful that you have the other dog there Mm -hmm. 
there's a little bit more of a void if you just have one dog and that dog mm. sadly comes to the a end of their life. Yeah. 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 And it can be really difficult. And I know it's it's still really difficult even if you have another dog there. I'm not suggesting it's suddenly easy because of that. No. But just having that other relationship there, having that mm-hmm. that outlet there, and you can kind of comfort one another because, you know, some dogs we definitely are beginning to look at animal grieving a little yeah. bit more now. And yeah. You know, evidence quality is difficult, but how would you assess that? But, mm-hmm. um, you know, but certainly we would have to expect that if dogs form attachment relationships and become distressed, if their person leaves to go to the shops mm-hmm. for 20 minutes, you can imagine then if there is a permanent separation from another individual, that dogs yeah. will become distressed with that of uh, too, of course. So that mm. makes complete sense mm-hmm. um so you know so so that can still be really really difficult um one thing that i will just kind of add in here is something that i hear a whole lot and i'm very dubious about mm-hmm. is that people will often of course people will <laughs> often report that their old dog suddenly comes to life when they get a puppy oh my god this is freaky i was just thinking this You're exact same that. thing oh, yeah. that's, see, this is because oh we've done so god. many hours of podcasts we're now just the one brain <laughs> this is so good i was just about yeah All go right, on okay. go on this okay. is gonna okay, be okay, okay great okay. i will mean, see now if you were gonna say the same thing as no, i was no. gonna say go on. <laughs> um so like you know it's just a little bit of a bubble bursting thing here which i tend to do a whole lot is that sometimes <laughs> that behavior that people see as you know that older dog kind of coming to life and mm. you know or whatever becoming livelier a lot of the early stress level behaviors what we tend to call like the fiddle or fidget or even flirt stage mm-hmm. of stress um we assume that because it looks kind of like excitable behavior it looks like excitement that it's mm-hmm. happy yes. and uh, it might not be no why are we seeing like an increase in activity? Is it because the resident dog, the older dog, is actually having to move away from the other puppy mm-hmm. a lot? Maybe they're showing a lot of conflicted behavior. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're suddenly having to monitor access to resources a whole lot when they didn't mm-hmm. have to do that. Um, so there can be other reasons than just, yes, look, there's an injection of enthusiasm because it's a puppy in the house. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that dogs are going to be, particularly older dogs, might always be that delighted about that. No. Um, what were you going to say? Yeah, no, I was, I was going to ask a very similar thing and I was just going to bring it up that it's a very common thing that people uh, will say when you meet people out with an, with an older dog, they're saying, oh, I'll have to get another one now because <laughs> this one's nearly on the way now. Do you know what I mean? And I don't, yeah, yeah. I don't want an empty house. And you're thinking, OK, and it's actually <laughs> something that, that people will um, apply, say, to, to us at Guide Dogs to oh, say yeah. maybe puppy raise because they have an older dog and right. they're thinking the same thing. And maybe they're thinking yeah. about adding the dog, but they'll get the puppy for a year and see how they'll they'll manage with it. But yes. um, I know I'm not comfortable putting a puppy in with an older dog. Um, yeah, uh, a lot. Yeah. Um, and usually when you explain to people that they, they just haven't maybe thought about it from that angle yeah. do you know what I mean and they, they yeah. do think and they often say oh well I've heard so many people say that it'll give mm-hmm. your older dog a, a new lease of life and and you're thinking well possi- possibly but more than likely <laughs> no do you know what I mean so yes. but usually when you explain it to them and you know people totally understand and where we obviously want to you know find great homes for our, our puppies but uh, uh-huh. not at the expense of the other no. dog in the home oh, or no, not never. the other dog but cats um, yes. other, uh, and we've had 
bunnies, uh, multitude all of, of all sorts. Yeah, tortoises, yeah. all sorts of different oh. animals in the in in the homes. Um, so yeah, it's it's an interesting one. But I'm glad that you said it because I, I just <laughs> popped in literally the exact same time. I was thinking when you were starting to talk, I was like, I wonder if she's going to say this. So yeah. <laughs> So good stuff. Great minds. Great preparation as always. Oh, great as okay. always. Oh yeah. Well, if I'm involved, <laughs> it's always well prepared and scripted. Never. Oh, it's, it's great. Never this well why I love this because this is what comes out naturally in, yes, in our conversations. Exactly. Anyway, yeah. that's why they're all four and a half hours long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. We record all of those. Holy moly. I know. Yeah. But uh, okay. Right. Okay. So if you've already adopted another dog now. Okay. And yeah. the balance in your home has shifted to maybe one of stress as the dogs are not getting along or maybe are just difficult to manage. What can people now do to make these situations easier on the dogs and on them, essentially? Well, I suppose the first thing is, like as we're always kind of saying, is realign those expectations mm-hmm. with reality, you know. So if it's... um if it's already happened and you've added the second dog and you're you're maybe kind of looking at it now and going, oops, maybe we've mm-hmm. been a bit hasty there. Maybe we've kind of dived in or maybe there's some tension growing or maybe mm-hmm. you've spotted something of concern. So the first thing is to kind of realign expectations. It's really difficult just for new dogs. And I talk about this all the time because uh, working with a lot of rescue dogs, uh, particularly at the moment, but have always done, mm-hmm. um, that people tend to bring them in and just expect that they're going to slot into yeah. life and that they're going to be fine with the children and they're going to want to be in the car and they're going to want to you know hang out with um the other dogs or the cat or the whatever and be okay with all the household stuff like when a new dog comes into a new home you might have had time to prepare for that the dog mm-hmm. doesn't know what's happening until mm-hmm. it happens to them mm-hmm. and their entire world falls apart and even if they came from like a crappy situation before and you're, they're coming into a wonderful uh, situation now with you, that the changing part is really difficult for them, mm. even if it's going from crap to great. Like mm. the changing part is really, really hard for them and will take months and months and months before they're able to deal with that. And their stress levels are super high because they don't know where the monsters are and they don't know when the monsters are coming and they don't know if the monsters are coming. So mm. there is this level of, of, you know, of background stress all the time. Mm. It's really difficult to form new relationships with people because that's a complex process, getting mm. used to all the things and then having to also navigate social interactions with other dogs who, again, even though you had time to prepare your current dogs the resident dogs only knew it was happening when it happened and suddenly there was this dog here and he's like not leaving he's still here um and that's really difficult for them too so that's the first thing to do is to just be really mindful that you know dogs are 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 just not these kind of cartoon versions that we've built up, particularly via social media, mm. um, of of animals that are just passive and and love everything that we do to them just yeah. because we've decided we're going to do it to them. They have complicated attitudes to their world um, and need our support. So that's the first thing I will say is mm-hmm. get your uh, expectations in check <laughs> and kind of realign them with reality that, mm-hmm. that we're actually dealing with dogs and animals that don't nece- didn't necessarily have any say in this, necessarily have any choice about this, just kind of happens to them and, and they ha- they're have they expected to go with the flow. Mm-hmm. So, you know, once we've done that bit, <laughs> then we actually have to start doing kind of like really kind of proactive physical things. Mm-hmm. So the first thing is this 
to to rearrange your setup as best as you can so the dogs can have time apart and that you have you know this area here is for you and this area here is for you and I'm going to spend one-on-one time with you and we're going to do nice things uh, in these spaces and we might rotate and we'll give you lots of time away from one another I mean everybody wants time apart from another individual and Mm -hmm. even where we have two dogs that are super reliant on one another and have real difficulty um being apart from one another that might not necessarily mean that them having some time apart is is a good idea like that is a good idea for those dogs who just might have to help them to do that and better cope with their world so um so even if they're showing distress of being separated actually we might have to um help them learn how to cope with that because that might actually be beneficial to their um, relationship as it is to anybody's relationship Mm. uh with any individual some alone time is super important Mm -hmm. uh, just to kind of clear the air and and be able to to cope with you know, life. Um, mm-hmm. I will advise pet owners to identify what we call hot zones, so areas where things can get a little bit uh, tense mm-hmm. and can be a little bit OTT. So, like tight spaces, particularly exciting spaces. So, you know, the hallway, the hallway. as you're getting, <laughs> yeah, as you're getting ready to go for a walk, doorways entrances exits you know coming in and out the kitchen even you know places that are associated with food in any way Mm -hmm. shape or form or resources in any shape way shape or form so even if there's food on the counter or Mm -hmm. anticipated or expected that there will be food on the counter Mm -hmm. um even that can be guarded uh, by one or both dogs even if they're on the floor Mm -hmm. um so i think one thing that tends to happen a lot is people tend not to feed dogs separately and oh this is a kind of a bugbear of mine um (laughs) there's a lot of some of that is based in kind of old traditional ideas where you know the food is for me so the dogs must you know just learn to live with it which is just weird um (laughs) and it is weird like that we yeah it's weird um and also just to remember Dogs are not natural sharers. They don't mm. feed socially. And if you watch like canids, like wild canids, like wolves or whatever, you watch videos of them, you'll see that even though they might be sharing a carcass and mm-hmm. there'll be less competition because there's abundant food when you yeah. have like a whole animal to break down. Yeah. Um, but you will see that they have very, very clear kind of possession zones like around the area that they're feeding in. And you'll see mm-hmm. a ton of agonistic s- signaling when other wolves um, kind of encroach on that or come too close. Like you'll see a ton of like lips been um you know bared and and mm. uh, or not bared lips been curled and mm. teeth been bared and the agonistic puckering along the top of the nose and mm. you might even have little snaps or snarls and then you know there'll be a lot of vocalization vocalizing mm. um so like they don't really want to be sharing in, in one of the another space feed them separately with visual barriers in between them like just give them a minute where they don't have to be watching yeah. for you know is this other fellow watching thing, me though. is he you know mm. is he waiting for to get my bowl is it you know just do it just they do separately. have that thing though I, I still see it and hear it all the time oh they should be able to eat together no but like why though why right because it's yeah. just it's safer and it's just nicer mm-hmm. for the dogs to, give them a break to, yeah. yeah um yeah and it's not you even know. it's not even it can ever give me a really good reason why they won't Mm-hmm. It's just it, it must be just um, yeah a thing from the past that's been yeah like you will see you know groups of uh, working dogs like so there's some really impressive videos of you know um, hunts with their groups of hounds and oh. they're feeding collectively but these animals are different they're living in cooperative groups mm. it is different they don't have the same relationships with people they don't have the same relationships with one another that 
yeah. uh, your two dogs necessarily do. Mm-hmm. Um, they are also different animals where this has been selected for. So mm-hmm. individuals who weren't, who were difficult to manage in those groups like that were culled from those groups. Mm-hmm. So like that's been deliberately selected for. With your random pet dogs at home, that's not the case. That's no. not something that we've been selecting for. Mm-hmm. Um, and in general, and people will say, oh, well, it's people then that make dogs garters. You know what? That is not the case either. Mm. All animals research guard, including people. You lock your car, you lock your <laughs> door. All of those things are our way of making sure that other people don't get our stuff. Well, dogs mm-hmm. do that too. And there's no animal on the planet that goes, oh, here, have my food. Because if yeah. they do, those animals die. Yeah. They starve to death. So mm-hmm. keeping what's yours, yours, and um, keeping others away from your stuff mm-hmm. is adaptive behavior. So it has evolved. Natural selection has been happening there. So, mm-hmm. you know, so this isn't a, it's something that living in the human world has done. Certainly there's some selective stuff that I think has probably exacerbated research guarding, but that might be a conversation for another day. Mm-hmm. We go into that a whole lot. Um, <laughs> and uh, there might be some environmental things that, that um, yeah. certainly humans are responsible for mm-hmm. that can exacerbate those things. And one of those is not allowing those dogs to have some space and some mm. relief from one another give them a break from one another mm. um and feed them you know so, so they can enjoy their meal that they don't you know it's the it's the waiter or waitress in a restaurant hovering over you you know as you're finishing your meal so like that you could just have a meal without that happening or are you feeling that way um so mm. you know so i think that's those are things that can certainly be done but also listening to those dogs so what behaviors are those dogs showing to one another because that will often guide our yeah. action um, and I will usually in, you know, the process of history taking, I will talk about, well, you know, what sort of introductions did these um, dogs have? And people will often have video um, now, which is great. It's such mm-hmm. a great thing that, that people say, oh, yeah, I can send you videos of yeah, all of these things that are going on. And it's just a fantastic window into what's happening, um, you know, from years ago or whatever. So, you know, <laughs> we might need some remedial kind of action there mm-hmm. um, um, to, to kind of make up for any deficits that have been caused by you know inappropriate introductions or the development of you know that poor first impression was full attention and and Mm -hmm. uh, and things like that so we might have some stuff to do there i think an important note here is is that i see a ton right now in a lot of rescue ads for dogs where they will say that this dog could possibly live with another dog subject to a successful meet and greet and i know a lot of rescues will encourage these kind of one-off meetings or maybe they'll do several uh, possibly um i don't i don't actually know um mm. so I'm judging here possibly oh. but mm. but um they'll say things like oh well, bring your dog over to meet your new rescue dog and I don't know mm. how useful these things are um I think the danger is is that people will see that the two dogs will appear to play and mm. I, I'll come back to that in a second um and then they go oh well it's all fine and the two dogs will be thrown into in with one another and it just all is expected to be rosy and Mm -hmm. or the dogs will kind of have like a really negative interaction with one another possibly because the way they were introduced and it was Mm -hmm. all a little bit too quick or it was just too much for everybody and they weren't being you know read and it was adjusted in the moment Mm -hmm. Um, and then it's assumed that those dogs will never get on and you know i think we have to be really really careful with what the actual predictive value of those sorts of interactions is and in my experience it's not terribly useful Mm. um it can definitely be done better and i think the most important thing is to emphasize proper separation and careful introductions in the new home that's Mm -hmm. actually way more important so they never meet each other prior um I think it's way more important that uh, that 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 that's done really really carefully um, mm. in the new home. That's actually where 
the relationship is actually going to get the opportunity to blossom or not. That's actually the environment that that happens in. And I did say there that we just, you know, people will think that the dogs are playing with one another. Um, even if they do play with one another and it is kind of okay play, that's not necessarily a criteria for success. Mm. dogs will often use play as a way to kind of redirect from tension mm. and test the other individual's um, understanding of the rules of interaction and a lot of behaviors that people think are about play again it's this excitable kind of thing this excitement thing this presumption that if dogs appear excited with one another yeah sure look go to any dog park yeah. right <laughs> yeah we, we've done this one mm. <laughs> Yeah. Um, you know, so play playing together isn't actually a criteria for success. And actually, our my criteria for success when I tend to do these reintroduction stuff, this remedial stuff, where we're, we're working through that kind of stuff, is actually dogs that can just be in the other's presence. Oh yeah, yeah there's that other dog there. It's totally fine. I don't mm-hmm. need to be monitoring them. I don't yeah. need to be worried about it. It's just grand, mm-hmm. um, and that's actually more representative of of where we want to be and where we want to go to. So you're yeah. not going to get in that first meeting in a field somewhere on the side of the road no. that's not going to happen that's going to take months especially to develop especially if you're going to bring them to I know when we used to do that they, they would yeah. be coming into a big complex full of dogs Other that dogs. were really really stressed out stressed dogs yeah. yeah and you're expecting that dog to come in there and be themselves it was just wild it's just yeah. totally and you'd do it because that was your, your job but you're, you had mm-hmm. no confidence in, in, in it at right. all you know yeah but yeah it's it is that first interaction is like so important mm-hmm. um and it was often so rushed yeah um and like right in their faces and everybody kind of willing them on you know there's yeah. so much pressure yeah and then you have the family that have this oh, this of idea of these are going to be best friends yeah, and yeah and that's it now done so yeah. in love so it's yeah. it's it's two sides like you're saying about the expectations i can say because i i worked for a, one of these places and mm-hmm. it, it i always felt it was on us as well to manage those expectations but then there was the the push to get the the dogs out and and into mm-hmm. into homes and it is it's definitely there's two sides to it obviously it's it's up to the the organization or the whoever is who has mm-hmm. a dog trying to find the home it's up to them to manage the expectations of the person as well because yeah. if they're thinking they're taking on this type of dog uh, and they're not that's not on the fault of the person um, but o- often they can be made to feel that it's their their sure. fault yeah, by, when it doesn't work out um and again i'm speaking from experience here so yeah um, you only have to look at social media and you can see that blame culture is alive and well well, yeah, not just mm. with this and uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. with this also. Yeah, 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 of course, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, you know, it's, it's, and then it's, yeah, like we say, it, it, everything can be done um, better, you know, yeah. but definitely those, those um, dog tests, as they were called, and oh, then we had, we had yeah. the cat test as well. The cat oh, test yes. was always one Cats that was that just too. like, yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, we got to go to the house of this poor cat and have this oh. strange dog come in and see how they're going to react. And we, we would say before we leave, I can tell you how, what's going to happen. Yeah. Okay, well, we got to do, go and do it anyway. Yeah. Um, it was just very, some really, really strange things. Of course, it's a long time ago now and hopefully it's better. Yeah, but I, like, I, I think it still goes on because I see it a ton in mm. um, when dogs are advertised. Like I see it a lot um, to the point that I'm mentioning it here, like it's that relevant and, and that mm. I, I will talk to a lot of people who've um, adopted a dog over the last two years and that was 
what was done and then now their dogs can't see one another because mm-hmm. if they're in eye line of one another that all hell breaks loose oh. so you know so it's, it's definitely not indicative of success and uh, we need there's wider criteria to consider and really the most important thing is is that we give both the resident dog and the new dog just a couple of weeks to get used to the idea that this fella is staying is staying yeah yeah mm. Um, and remembering that that's a lot to grapple with for the new dog like it's just so many layers of stuff that they have to deal with that's really really challenging for them and the problem is is that we don't necessarily see the results of this for you know a couple of months down the line or even years down the line months Mm. months Mm. Um, and that can be really difficult for people to understand that Mm. I just sound like I'm being really over the top with this and be really dramatic with it Um, and I'm going no 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 seriously we're investing in this this is a long-term investment now you know Um, and that can be really hard and even if you explain to people if they see the dogs engage in behavior that looks like play that's Mm. it immediately like it's heart eyes isn't it and they're like yeah no they're totally in love i just knew they'd love each other yeah and it's really difficult to convince them otherwise even if if it makes sense to them yeah it's really really hard to do that and definitely when we would say at least six months for for any any new adoption you know and it could be way longer and it didn't matter at that stage because the hope of the dog and the expectations were really high and that it was Uh all going to work anyway but when when it starts to go wrong very quickly six months seems like oh my god i don't know if i'm gonna make it yeah six months do you know what i mean yeah and i can understand it it's really it's it's really really tough um for everybody to make the the right choices it it really really is and i would say that like i know we've kind of been talking about like dogs that are adopted through rescue but i would say this about new puppies as well Oh, oh, listen yeah Uh, and and one of the things that's more relevant there is if you bring dogs in that are in drastically different developmental stages and particularly Mm. one is very young we have to go through all of those developmental stages and that changes their attitude to social living and we don't know what dog we're going to have and when they're socially mature in no. kind of three years time or whatever necessarily mm. and we have to be really careful and nurture it and also remembering that if we have a new dog who's super impressionable because their brain is still forming mm. if they're having tension and yeah. you know their the main interactions they're having with other dogs in their life are kind of not so positive yeah. like that's it for forming their entire attitude to the world of other dogs because mm. it's so impressionable it's such a huge part of their life mm. and the other thing we have to remember is is that if you have a resident dog and then you add a new dog the new dog has only ever lived in that situation with the other dog mm. the other dog may have had time may have years without that other dog and mm-hmm. be able to cope and be perfectly happy without having to spend time with that dog so we have sure. to make sure that the new dog coming in has the time to develop coping skills so that they can stand on their own feet mm. and understand the world and interact the world without having to rely on the other dog and i know you know, definitely we see more and more dogs that appear to have experienced, you know, great trauma in their lives. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes those dogs can do better with a confident dog um, or appear to do better with, with having a confident resident dog. But I do want to just, you know, throw this out there in terms of concern for uh, the resident dogs. Like they don't necessarily ask to be kind of counsellors in this you know they they don't necessarily ask to be therapists for this new dog that's coming in that's experienced a really traumatic life and and is focusing on the world in a you know in a very kind of um distressed manner or anxious manner so it's important just to have consideration for those resident dogs that don't necessarily ask for this they don't get a say in it anyway i I mean this is the issue Mm. um i suppose a lot of the time and that you know that we do have a plan in place to make sure that the new dog learns to stand on their own feet and learns to develop 
develop coping skills, i.e. we teach them behaviours that allow them to better deal with their world. And that if other dogs present can help with that and like I will with a lot of fearful dogs I work with I will have used another more confident companion to kind of you know as a kind of social model and Mm. I might teach a lot of behavior um and um develop a lot of comfort through this kind of social learning um aspect Mm. yeah and it can be really useful but I'm Mm. never going to put that that other dog the more confident dog or the the resident dog or whatever into a situation where they have to be this kind of therapist yeah this other dog ongoing basis yeah. yeah, that we ha- that their needs are being met and that the other dog is developing skills to deal with this world on their own and things like that. And I mm. think that's a really important thing to be mindful of as as we see that dogs that come from, you know, certain, you know, sometimes specific or general, very kind of traumatic backgrounds that we're making sure that we have proper plans in place, that we're not just relying on another animal that doesn't really have a say in all of this. No. And yeah, you, you, <laughs> I can think of some examples. Would you hear it oh, over the yeah. years? Like, oh, my, so I have many. I two um x whatever breeds dogs and mm. they're just they it's they're they're just best pals and they're so cool and calm and then i saw this little poor little terrier that was just so worried about everything and i just knew my dogs would be able to help him feel mm-hmm. better or her feel better and they rehomed this little dog and all hell breaks loose for everybody in the home and uh, yeah yeah it's a uh, it's a it's it's a yeah it's really really tough one but then in those situations sometimes they will keep going the people will keep going with it in the hope that over time it will change but it impacts Mm -hmm. negatively on those dogs that were there previously who had this amazing life just for the sake of this little guy or or girl to help yeah Um, and it's like it's it's something that is often forgotten about in the like again you'll see ads for in rescue and things like that oh you know must have another confident dog in the home or you know whatever way it's worded Mm -hmm. i'm thinking well who is thinking about that dog is that dog Mm -hmm. asking for this and sometimes that's just because you know it's a normal puppy that's not necessarily grappling with great trauma and whatever and they just want like it's a good idea to have a model dog and i'm all on for that Mm -hmm. and, and all those things but oftentimes it's these dogs that have come from you know really really serious situations like hoarding mm-hmm. situations or puppy um farm situations or lab situations or whatever you know all these awful things um have gone through them and uh, or they've gone through and um you know we're asking a lot our expectations are just stupidly high mm. um of those resident dogs and i'm not i'm not suggesting that this having the presence of a a model dog like that can absolutely be helpful but yeah what I'm saying is that there should be consideration there for how we do it and that we can do it appropriately and not just rely on them to kind of cure this other dog and just like fix their attitude to the world, which isn't a thing. We don't do that. That isn't that, you know, dogs aren't broken. We're not fixing them Mm -hmm. and repairing them. Like you repair your car. That's not, how this works um you know so i just (laughs) well i'd be out of a job so (laughs) my expertise would be less needed um (laughs) but uh, um so i just want you know there to be consideration for that again it's nuance isn't it yeah yeah looking at the specifics so it would be like a a lot of the times in these situations where they've adopted maybe a second or a third dog and Mm -hmm. they're doing walks together they're doing everything Mm -hmm. together with the dogs to try and Mm -hmm bring this one other dog along but actually what you're you're saying earlier is that it would be better to do more individual stuff with the with 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 the new dog well actually do individual stuff with with both and making sure that the resident dog still gets everything that they got before this new new dog uh, uh, arrives but making sure that if this other dog that comes in that does latch on to this other dog that they actually do learn to 
co- you know live together uh, peacefully but also that they can survive individually on their own without yeah. one or the other yeah yeah and like again you know having a, a resident dog that can help as a kind of a model with that is really useful mm. but we there's a way of doing it where everybody's needs are met and mm. and um, we don't have these unrealistic expectations on on dogs you know as being the cure-all for all things um which just is not fair no okay right so <laughs> what would be some examples of kind of you know red flags that may suggest that say this if they're in the situation that it's it's only going to get worse and may never even work long term mm-hmm. so i think that's something to bear in mind you know certainly there is mention in in some of the literature and and among colleagues and stuff like that and other resources that when you have two dogs uh, that are fighting with one another in the home that that can be a really difficult thing to turn right Mm -hmm. and possibly you know will probably require some level of management for life Mm -hmm. and i would say that you know if we even when we do all the things right it can sometimes happen because you know you're accounting for complex personalities and and ever-changing environments Mm -hmm. and all those things so you know yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's not to blame anybody. We're not saying that it's always because you didn't do, you know, didn't have a baby gate up when they first met mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, there'll be, you know, lots of complex combinations of things that'll come together. Mm-hmm. But obviously the big one that, you know, would be a big red flag would be, you know, injurious fights. So yeah, dogs yeah. Are, are being injured and we would want to be, um, you know, looking at, well, what's the severity of injuries? Um, how much damage are they doing to one another? Um, how many fights have there been? How many injuries have there been? Mm. What sort of veterinary treatment was required? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and performing a risk assessment in that situation. Because what I'll often say to pet owners is, you know, is that you're, you, if you come across two dogs fighting, you know, or squabbling randomly in a park, you're probably not going to stick your hands in there. Right. Uh, but if it's happening in your living room. Yeah. So we also often see in these situations, serious injuries to people. Yes. Um, and it may not be that the dog intended to bite anybody, no. but they're focusing on one another and then mm-hmm. a hand goes in there or, yeah. yeah. And, you know, you just get caught by a, you know, flailing tooth and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Yes. And and because they're not kind of concentrating on you and they're not in an interaction with you, they might not be inhibiting their bite in the normal way that they no. would in another social interaction mm-hmm. with you. So they can be quite serious injuries mm-hmm. and punctures and tears and, and things like that. And also, as soon as people get involved, we can kind of move dogs or our presence can, you know, add to the tension. And then we can try to pull one dog off another. So it tears the other dog, yeah. you know, so like it, it can it, it can make things worse. And of course, the dogs, when they live together, it's really difficult for them to get away from one another. And like, we know that ourselves, you know, we've Mm -hmm. all gone through lockdown and had to live with our, you know, partners or family members or children or whatever. We were kind of stuck (laughs) in a place uh, with people. So we have an understanding about that, Mm -hmm. you know, that, you know, normally adult humans have access to a lot of choices and options so that you can leave or you can move away or you can go over there. Dogs don't have that. They might not have access to those things, but also they might not want to move away from their humans. They might not want to move away from those resources. So they can be stuck, you know, um, with this other dog that they're kind of watching and monitoring all the time. And Mm -hmm. the thing is, is that squabbles among social animals, warning behavior among social animals, that's completely normal. Mm -hmm. None of us would be expected to live in a social group without ever having a raised argument, for example, with the person or people that we live with. I mean, that's not possible to do. You can't go through your life like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, we have to accept that some level of kind of social interaction where there might be distance increasing behavior, stress related behavior directed towards one another is, is normal. Mm. But we also have to understand that that behavior might not function as normally for those dogs and might escalate um, quicker because they can't actually get away from one yeah. another as easily. Mm. 
And so, you know, if we consider that the function of those behaviours a lot of the time is to get social relief, that's really difficult when you're in the confines of a house and you can't move, you don't want to move away from your bed or you don't want to move away from your bone or you don't want to move away from your human. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that it just becomes harder. So I would say that if we are having you know, growls and things like that. And one dog growls, you know, when he has a bone and the other dog just immediately moves away and moves on up with their life. That's probably not a big concern. Mm-hmm. All of the things being equal, you know, mm-hmm. um, but where that isn't happening or it's not possible to happen, it's very difficult to, for, for those dogs to have that space from one another. Mm. Um, or things are escalating quite quickly from, you know, staring and stiffening through to snapping and snarling quite fast. I would say that we're probably in a situation where the red flag is redder and yeah, getting yeah. redder and getting flaggier. Um, so a lot of this stuff is commonly associated with kind of, you know, so-called typical kind of resource guarding related behaviors and that's of course comes back to that kind of competitiveness mm-hmm. um well one thing i would say that people often don't notice until we look at it retrospectively so we go back through history or go back through videos is is that there's one dog watching another dog or both dogs are watching mm-hmm. each other in kind of benign situations so one dog would be lying on the sofa and the other dog comes in and walks across the room and the other dog is watching them mm-hmm. and just this kind of eye stalking of them um and i would say that those are things that i would want to know about hmm. those would be that that one is often we it, it's often comes up or it's often visible in videos and things like that from um uh those you know those dogs in those dogs histories yeah um that kind of just monitoring each other that would be because something again, that would be easily yeah. easily missed by people oh Abs- yeah. And particularly if you're living it. Yeah. So it's very easy for me to say, oh, yeah, I'm spotting that now, but I've been called in to look for these things. It's yeah, you've been told there's a problem yeah. already kind of thing. Yeah. But like if I'm living it and I'm watching the telly or I'm hanging out at my house or, you know, I'm not necessarily looking for those things. So it's no. incredibly easy to miss. And mm-hmm. can be very, you know, dogs are incredibly subtle. Yeah. Certainly to us, they appear yeah. very subtle. I mean, to the dogs, it's glaringly obvious, yeah. you know. Um, so like, so it's very easy. It's very easy to miss. Um mm these things you know and not or and if you see them not think that they're relevant like that's Mm. that's very easy to do definitely Mm. okay right so if people are unsure or already concerned obviously uh, they should contact the likes of yourself so that the situation can be properly assessed right Um, and that's really important really as early as possible yeah somebody who knows what to look for and Uh what they're what what they're looking at needs to come and assess it like um, really the best time for to, for me to get involved is at the introductory introductory yes. stage or even better when you're considering you know even just thinking about us yeah. getting a second dog mm-hmm. like that's the time and that we can talk about that we can look at the setup we can we can do things and the thing is is that if it goes really smoothly you can always peel back a lot of that management and a mm-hmm. lot of that confinement and rotation yeah. adding it is harder because you already have stuff going down yeah. and those do- and i'm not I'm not necessarily waiting for those dogs to growl because people will say, oh, well, they, they, you know, they're able to eat with their bowls beside each other and they don't growl at one another. Great. But I, that's not, yeah, I know, <laughs> woo, uh, there's a win. Uh, but it's not because actually what I'm thinking about is what are these two dogs associated with one another? So what mm-hmm. are the emotional s- associations that are happening? Mm-hmm. So how do these dogs feel about the presence of the other? Mm. And the absence of growling doesn't mean that they're loving it. No. Um, you know, and I would say, like definitely as early as you can don't wait for it to go that we have more than one fight don't wait for somebody to end up in the doctors or somebody to end up in the vets yeah um you know this this idea of oh just let them work it out themselves don't do that get help and Mm. and we'll be able to identify situations where we go okay that's something that they can get out of themselves and we need to let them do that 
But a lot of the time that is not going to be helpful and we need to be preventing it from getting to a stage where the dogs need to use tension toward one another. Um, and that's actually the key to, to success with this. Yeah. But don't wait. Don't uh, wait. As please. always, same message or as early as possible. Yeah, I know. But this one is particularly this one is particularly important mm-hmm. uh, because I generally see these cases when dogs have been injured and mm. incredibly commonly when people have been injured, like hospitalized, because, mm. again, they get caught in the middle of something that they wouldn't normally yeah. put their hands into, understandably, or their foot into a lot of foot injuries because people try and put their feet between yeah. dogs and they might be in their socks or bare feet, you know, because they're at home on their house, like, um, you know, mm. so they're not wearing boots or whatever. And it's, um, it's scary it, yeah. when you... It's. It seems like it's going on forever when dogs mm. are having a fight. Oh somewhere. yeah, and it's uh, oh, like, yeah. often not. It's like you know, oh, it's a few seconds or whatever. Seconds, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's really, really scary. So you would just do what whatever comes naturally, oh, quickly, first thing into your head, so you can see how it would happen. But yeah, yeah. it's like yeah. really dangerous. And w- like one of the things that we'll actually do in these with these cases is we'll go through a whole lot of if management does fail because it does fail, of course, mm-hmm. because somebody leaves a door open because yeah, humans are yeah. human and dogs are dogs. So how do we actually split fights up so that mm-hmm. we don't injure dogs, that we don't in- the people don't get injured? How do you actually deal with it? So it's not mm-hmm. just preventing it; it's also what happens if if it does happen and and uh, what can we do to prevent that from happening or splitting that splitting those those dogs um as needed you know because yeah. some that that can come up and it is terrifying and as somebody who has worked around dogs who do this all the time and <laughs> have worked in re- i've worked in really large groups of dogs where you can have drama you know just by mm-hmm. the fact that there's so many dogs mm-hmm. um it always gets your blood pumping. Yeah. Like it is incredibly it's distressing. It's really scary, yeah. <laughs> um, and there's usually like with a lot of normal fights, I'm going to say amongst dogs, there's lots of noise, there's lots of drama. Mm. You know, it's a massive, it's a big kind of production. Um, so it mm. always gets you gets you going, let <laughs> me sure. tell you. Yeah. you no, no matter how many times you've experienced no, it. No, exactly. It's, it's, it's not yeah. something you get used to. No, so. I shouldn't anyway. No. Yeah, no, definitely. Oh, okay. <laughs> Agree. Cool. <laughs> You said it was going to be fun, didn't we, guys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, hilarious. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's a really important one because it's it's something I know. I I I'm asked uh, all the time about uh-huh. should I um, because of my maybe rescue background. I don't know. Yeah. Um. People are thinking, should I? Should I? You know. Uh. Definitely. And and a lot of people do really think about this long and hard before they do it. But oh, even yeah. even with that, um there's a lot can, that can still go wrong so yeah i think it's yeah. no harm to bounce it off somebody outside oh yeah get advice first definitely yeah and like it'll often seem like some of the, what we've been talking about it'll often seem that i'm kind of playing devil's advocate and almost trying to turn you off it but yeah. <laughs> you know that's not necessarily the case no. but i do want you to because it's very easy to be blinded by oh my god like the excitement of getting a new dog i'm I exactly know. the same mm-hmm. uh, or the prospect of a puppy oh for god's sake like <laughs> um you know and oh, it's very god. easy to get caught up in that yeah and you do need somebody on your shoulder just saying really this is what you need really is it mm. just to consider things that you might not have considered because you're blinded by the you know the prospect of it yeah so just to get that kind of independent third party opinion on it definitely can be helpful definitely definitely okay cool awesome well thank you so much again not all thanks a million loads of really helpful stuff there and as always right. if you're unsure go to ania.ie and make contact yeah get in touch yeah yeah absolutely no problem awesome anytime <laughs> okay cool well thanks I'll, a million I'll be talking Graham. to you again soon look after no yourself doubt. <laughs> thanks Anne bye <laughs>
thanks again so much for listening today guys and as always thank you so much for all of the positive feedback and your suggestions if you enjoy the show remember to please subscribe to the podcast leave a rating and review and recommend it to all of your friends and family to help us reach and help more people and their dogs also please give us a follow on twitter at barkside pod and also on instagram at barkside pod to help grow our online community if there are topics you would like to hear us cover in future episodes please do share those with us on social media or simply mail us at barksidepod at gmail.com and we will do our very best to cover those in future episodes look after yourselves and your doggies thanks again for joining us and we will look forward to seeing you here again real real soon <laughs>